and this is for my activists, counterculturalists, my spiritualists, moving from this place of resisting capitalism to this place of becoming a creator of my own personal economy. My own wow. personal economy. And that was about being willing to give voice to my own vision for how I thought business ought to be done and to create associations with my money that felt really good for me. You know, so in shifting away from capitalism and recognizing that I needed to create a viable alternative, so it's not enough to shun it, I gotta create a viable alternative, mm -hmm. this idea of my own economy really excited me because making a lot of money never really like, okay, so whatever. But this idea of changing the game, this idea of shifting capitalism, of challenging the culture of capitalism in an active way, um, in a creative way, in an empowering way, got me very, very excited. Hello, this is Dr. Edith Ubuntu Chan. Welcome to The Dr. E Show, a show exploring the frontiers of our human possibilities in areas like health and wellness, science and spirituality, quantum biology, and conscious living, so that together we can awaken the best of ourselves and create our most joyful and fulfilling lives. If you've been listening to our show for a while, chances are you care deeply about your personal and spiritual growth. You're a big, outside-the-box thinker. You have big dreams, big visions, big goals, and you care deeply about making our world a better place. But let's be honest. Do you ever struggle with finding your soul's purpose and aligning it with the practical realities of paying the bills, making money? And have you ever noticed that amongst us alternative-minded healers, activists, counterculturalists, far too many of us are working our buns off, yet we're constantly stressing about money, living in the state of scarcity, suffering, and sacrifice? And doesn't it seem like so many of us have been hopping from seminar to seminar, trying every variation on the law of attraction, manifesting abundance, subliminal audio messaging, walking on coals with self-help gurus, and yet we're still lost, confused, and broke? Well, if any of this sounds familiar, then congratulations, my friend. The universe has answered your call. Because my guest today is entrepreneurial soul coach behind a whole new generation of successful change makers, visionaries, and social entrepreneurs, Ra Goddess. Although Ra looks forever radiant and ageless, the moment she speaks, you can feel the depth and profound wisdom that is grounded in her work of more than 30 years as a cultural innovator, social impact strategist, and creative change agent. Her work has been featured in Time Magazine, Miss Magazine, Variety, Essence, The Source, Red Book, Forbes, Fast Company, Chicago Tribune, and many, many more. She's a sought after and beautiful speaker who has presented at Bioneers, SVN, TEDx, Equity Now, Women in Power, She Summit, and the list goes on and on like this. So please, 
help me in welcoming the founder and CEO of Move the Crowd, the visionary pioneer who has galvanized a massive movement of conscious entrepreneurs to stay true, get paid, and do good. The one, the only, raw goddess. Oh my goodness, <laughs> thank you so much. It's such a blessing and an honor to have this opportunity to chat with you today about this very important topic. Thank mm. you so much for being with us, Ra. Thank you so much, Dr. Edith, for having me. It's my joy and honor to be here. So please tell us a little bit of background. A lot of us may have heard about you, but some of us might mm. be new to your work. Yeah. How did you come to do this, what we all know is very important work, but it's a very specific kind of work that you do, this aligning our sole purpose to the practical realities of making money and having a profitable and sustainable business. It is such critical work right now, and not very many people are talking about this. Mm -hmm. So my, you know, my journey um, it's funny because my first initial response, how did I come to this work? Kicking and screaming <laughs> would be my short answer. But, um, you know, many, many years um, working as an activist, many, many years working in arts and culture and creativity and, and sort of this intersection of arts and social impact and um, and then, of course, spirituality. And so, you know, my joke always is I signed up for the poverty trifecta because each of those disciplines unto themselves guarantees you a life of being poor, you know, noble but poor. Um, and, I, you know, and it really, like, I come from that lineage, meaning, you know, my parents very active in community, deeply concerned about their fellow man and their fellow woman, um, very, very passionate about wanting to give back and make a difference, but not savvy at all around the money piece. And, you know, following sort of in their footsteps, um, I became one of those, one of those people as well. And, um, and it wasn't until I had a really, you know, serious kind of come to Jesus moment about 15 years ago, where it, it just started to shift for me. And I really, um, you know, I came back from a long trip and, you know, I came back with less money than I thought I was going to come back with and, you know, and rent was due. And it was like, you know, I knew, okay, you got to go out and hustle. I just didn't have it in me, you know, just was exhausted from having, you know, just given and given and given on the trip. But, you know, my, my landlord did not want to hear that I was helping, you know, <clears throat> the youth in the slums of Nairobi. My, my landlord wanted the money, you know. Yeah. Um, and I really was like, you know, I just can't keep, I can't keep operating this way. I can't keep living this way. Um, and, and in that real moment of coming to Jesus and coming to, to full, into full surrender, you know, I said, listen, if I'm going to stay here and I'm going to continue to do this, I have to figure the money out and I have to um, be willing to pursue the, the knowledge, the skills um, and, and the intellect to be able to create a strategy that would enable this work to be sustainable. And that was like the beginning of like sort of starting to shift out of it. And one of the things that I, that I share a lot when people get here, because a, a lot of us, to your point, Dr. Edith, a lot of us grapple with this. Yeah. And it isn't just sort of the personal messages that we've gotten, you know, growing up, but there's a real moral dilemma 
that we're navigating because morally we have issues with capitalism, you know, whether that's coming from our spiritual, you know, growth and development or whether that's coming from, you know, some of the pushback to society, right? I love you called the counterculturalists, you know, Mm -hmm. um, like whatever box we're checking, there are real values challenges when it comes to the way that we often witness business happening and business being done. Yeah, we've seen so many just nauseatingly disgusting examples of it gone wrong that we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, right? We just think money is bad now because it's been used, misused so horribly. So horribly. And part of it is that that's what gets celebrated in our culture. You know what I mean? So it's, it is about the sort of the person that's been able to amass the fortune. There's this very kind of iconic worship that happens, um, or there's a way that we tolerate ignorance, abuse, violence, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, both in our larger society and in our smaller communities because people have money. There's a way that we indulge, you know, people who have money and that creates a particular distortion, um, which has many of us push back and sort of be like, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to show up that way. I don't want to operate that way. Um, And dare I say that there are people who have resource who also feel like, you know, they get manipulated a particular way because of their resources. Like, do you really want to be my friend or are you just trying to get that grant? Or do you really, you know what I mean? Are you trying to, or that investment or, you know, so there's just all of this in the cultural DNA that we're all navigating through where we, you know, are instinctually, we know it's not healthy for us, but the challenges for so many of us is that, you know, it's not enough to repel capitalism like we got to have an alternative vision we got to have a way of operating with currency and engaging with economy that is empowering Mm -hmm. which is so much of what we teach at move the crowd and um and really like we're on a mission around this because as more people are waking up you know they're facing that concern like okay i can see my purpose over here Mm -hmm. Rent is due on the 15th. You know, what am I doing about that? You know, purpose all day long, sure. But if I can't feed my family, right? It, you know, that then my purpose is going to have to wait um, or, or happen on the weekend hours or the moonlight hours, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's real. I said that because the, the struggle is real and the struggle was very, very real for me. Um, and I, you know, I wound up getting a very unorthodox business education, you know, sat at the feet of some very smart people. So rather than sort of going to Harvard or Wharton or Yale or any of those great institutions, I wound up really sitting at the feet of some very smart people and just trying to soak up everything I possibly could as it related to how they had built what they had built and what their, you know, their money journey was and how they transformed their history. Because a lot of us come from histories where we've inherited messages that limit our capacity to have and do and be more. So tell us what were the golden nuggets that you learned on that journey? Mm. So, you know, the first thing I learned, and, and, and I sort of talk about this, you know, in the context of any time I share this journey, but there were really three pivotal shifts for me. You know, the first shift was, and, and it really, I should back all the way up and say that really like what, sort of turn the lights on for me, you know, 
in these rooms, it was great to be able to look at, well, what is my conversation about money? What, what, what do I think about money? Do I think money is good? Do I think money is evil? You know, do I want to be wealthy? Is being rich an aspiration for me? And these were some of the kinds of questions they were asking. I was like, wow, you know, like, no, 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 you know. Um, and I don't think I realized the degree to which I had really been repelling money, you know. And, you know, what I would say is as much as, you know, being in those rooms really raised an incredible amount of awareness for me, the thing that really sort of tipped the scale for me was actually spiritual law. And it's called the law of pure potentiality. I was reading Deepak Chopra's Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, which is like a classic. I don't know if any of you know that book, but I love little books with huge wisdom. And this is one of those books, right? So um, Deepak's Seven Spiritual Laws, and he talked about the law of pure potentiality. And at the center of the law of pure potentiality was the belief that you are creative. And if you believe and if you accept and if you're willing to take on the fact that you are creative, that you have the powers to create and be co-creating in the context of your reality, then you have an opportunity to look at what you're creating, what you're creating through your speaking, what you're creating through your thinking, what you're creating through the behavior, you know, the sort of the corresponding behaviors and the way that all of those things are giving you a particular experience you know and that experience may be pleasant that experience may be very unpleasant but this opportunity to first and foremost even become aware of the fact that you have an inner dialogue and aware of the fact that it is an inner dialogue that you've created whether you're consciously aware of it or not aware of it um, and that through speaking and thinking and feeling and acting that you bring this reality into manifestation into fruition and when I first read that law and I was like what you know so and then so then I said okay well check it out okay so if if indeed I am creative then I better start asking myself what do I want to be creating because I was very very clear as I looked at what I had created that I was not very happy <laughs> about what I had created as it related to my current state Mm -hmm. And so as I'm awakening and, and sort of really connecting and leaning in around this spiritual law and trying my best to kind of understand what this spiritual law meant, um, there were three pivotal shifts that really showed up for me in this exploration. And the first thing was to look at the potential of going from someone who was at the mercy of my current financial state to actually becoming a conscious active shaper in my own financial reality. So in other words, if I'm creative and I have a current financial state that doesn't work for me, and what I recognize about that state is that I'm constantly in reaction to whatever is happening and it feels like life is happening to me, raise your yes. hand if that sounds familiar anybody yeah. <laughs> I'm at the mercy of my circumstances I have an opportunity to move from being someone who is at the mercy of my circumstances to someone who is actively consciously creating my circumstances and my situation and the central opportunity for me in that was to find my voice to find my voice because I had been doing business in ways where somebody would hand me a contract and be like, well, 
those are the terms and they're non-negotiable. And I would be like, okay. And no matter how I felt about the contract, I would sign it. Some of us don't even read what we signed. Let's really go over there, Dr. Edith, right? right. So there's yeah. sort of blatant blind compliance, right? Where we say yes to situations and circumstances that don't serve us, don't agree with, that we don't agree with, but we don't feel like we can have a voice. And wow, that's so powerful because you did this in your life, but look at our world. Our world is a mirror of what happens on a society level of blind correct. obedience to something that doesn't work. Correct. This is correct. so huge. Correct. And it was shifting out of what you call the blind obedience, which for me was, you know, it occurred like, like victimhood, right? Like being at the mercy of shifting out of that space of compliance and shifting into a space of really having voice and really consciously working to have my business dealings and my money dealings be more in alignment with what actually worked for me, right? So that was everything from being willing to negotiate contracts or being willing to say, well, if the terms of this is like, like there's no way to shift the term, then I don't think I'm the right person for you, which is scary for a lot of us being willing to say no, especially right. that money is attached to. Yes. Um, and it also showed up for me as it related to what I charged for what I delivered. So, you know, I was usually that person came in and was like, well, what's your budget? And, you know, and then they would be like, you know, and we want you to move heaven and earth and the stars and the cosmos and, you know, the budget's 25 cents. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, um, and, um, and I went from being that person who was in that, okay, well, that's what you got. And then, you know, and then really trying to make what was unworkable work you know, which is a recipe for burnout and stress and overwhelm and just raise your hand if you hear me, um, to actually saying, you know, these are my rates. This is what I charge. And I took the time to do the work to actually come up with a menu of services. This is what I charge. This is, you know, so you want a workshop? Okay, this is what I charge for a workshop, you know, and taking the time to really look at, well, what did it, what did it take for me to create that workshop? Oh, it took 15 hours being hunched over my computer, thinking about the design, thinking about the kids, thinking about the, you know, whatever, or all of the education that I brought to bear on that relationship or all of the life experience that I brought to bear, right? Mm -hmm. Putting together the materials, you know, really like getting into the knit grid of like, what am I actually delivering? And what is the value of what it is that I'm delivering? And so, you know, initially you, you know, you, you guesstimate, you know, you get estimate, guesstimate, right? You try to get to a number um, and you also, you know, work to try to get to a number that you can hold, that you can really honor. So, you know, you may really feel like your, your workshops are worth $1,500, but you may be like, oh, today I can confidently stand in $500, but my goal is to be able to stand in $1,500. You know what I mean? So you, there's something about how you honor where your energy is and then grow and, and evolve that. So those two changes, one being willing to have a voice in negotiating and then two being willing to actually lay out a menu of services enabled me to triple my income in eight months. Wow. Eight months. And when I saw that and you all, you know, you want to know like the first time somebody says, well, what do you charge? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> 
$500. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. So I had to practice, you know, I had to practice and, and Lintwist tells this beautiful story. Lintwist is an amazing money maven. And she tells this beautiful story of working with migrant workers and teaching them how to stand in their value and how she would have them actually practice like scripts around like saying their rates. And so, you know, for me, a lot of time in the mirror, like practicing, like, oh, can I stand in that? Can I own that? Um, what helped me was being able to look at everything it took me to create these workshops or create these performances or whatever the thing was. Mm -hmm. That was the first shift. Second shift was moving, and this is from my activist, counterculturalist, my spiritualist, moving from this place of resisting capitalism to this place of becoming a creator of my own personal economy. My own wow. personal economy. And that was about being willing to give voice to my own vision for how I thought business ought to be done and how I wanted to do business and to create associations with my money that felt really good for me. You know, so in shifting away from capitalism and recognizing that I needed to create a viable alternative, so it's not enough to shun it, got to create a viable alternative, mm -hmm. this idea of my own economy really excited me because making a lot of money never really like, okay, so whatever, you know, for what, you know? So, and I would guess that most people out there making a lot of money is not the thing that lights their fire. Right. They want money because they want freedom or they want flexibility or they want to care for and love for people who are important to them. You know what I mean? Like we have reasons for why we want money. It's not mm -hmm. just money in itself. And mm -hmm. So getting clear, like, oh, making a lot of money is not going to float my boat. Um, but this idea of changing the game, this idea of shifting capitalism, of challenging the culture of capitalism in an active way, um, in a creative way, in an empowering way, got me very, very excited. Yes, and I know one thousand percent that is how every listener listening to these words is like, bing, wow. There's a whole opportunity and possibility here that we've been missing out on. Totally. This is the work that we all came to the planet to do. Let's be part of this. Totally. And, you know, to say that economy and GDP, like there's a way that we've been handed a conversation about economy that lands over our heads. Mm -hmm. That lands as something that we don't have the ability to affect or impact. And that is just not true. You know, that economy, when you define economy, all it is, is the use of wealth and resources. It's sort of defined as the wealth and resources of a nation, you know, that are produced through the production of goods and services. Well, you know, the wealth and resources of a person or the wealth and resources of a city, you know what I'm saying? In other words, we can break economy down. And I now say the acquisition and the spending of the acquisitioning and the, the utilizing of your wealth and resources is really where it comes together. So how you spend and how you earn the acquisition and the spending of your wealth and your resources represents your personal economy. And I was like, okay, so if that's the case, then I get to look at how I'm spending my money and I get to make conscious decisions about where I'm excited about how I'm spending my money Mm -hmm. And where I'm not so excited about having spending my money. And I will tell you all the first place I started was my dry cleaner. 
I started with my drag cleaner. My drag cleaner, <laughs> not so friendly. <laughs> Screaming at people, yelling at people, you know, and, and always like attitude and never sort of really looked me in the eye. I mean, there's a whole lot of things going on. Very, very stressed individual. And I was like, you know what? I'm firing my drag cleaner. <laughs> I had to go find a kinder, gentler, friendlier, organic dry cleaner, you know, because that's mm -hmm. what I'm with my values, you know? Mm -hmm. And it started with my dry cleaner, but it moved to every, literally every aspect of my life to the point where, like, I have my dentist prays over my mouth before he starts working. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so, like, that's what you can get. And he's a meticulous, impeccable dentist, deeply passionate about his craft and his work. Mm. Those are my people. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to work with somebody who's miserable, who's doing what they don't want to be doing. You all hear what I'm saying. And you don't want to be that miserable person, you know? So the opportunity to transform it in that way took me from then being, instead of being sort of angry about how I was spending my money to being joyful because I'm supporting people that I like, I'm doing business with people that I care about. I'm, I'm supporting things that I'm passionate about. So there was this way of spending. And when I began to spend in that way, I begin just energetically to feel more expansive around my mind. Wow. And I can just feel as you're speaking, I can feel the flow going because you are so excited about earning money then because you get to spend it on, it's not even for you, it's for supporting your community and mm -hmm. your tribe in that very deeply aligned and meaningful way. So the more flows in, the more you get to flow out in those things that you are so passionate about to create that ripple effect. Yes, yeah, and it's like, so and I'm huge. getting things that are of quality to me. I'm getting things that matter to me. So I will say to you that the quality and integrity of whatever the product or service was also had to be there, right? So I'm not saying you trade that. But the bonus was that you also got, wow, I get to support a single mom who, you know, is raising four kids and has this entrepreneurial vision. I get to invest in that. I get to invest in that local mom and pop restaurant that's vegan that, you know, and like the son serves at the counter or the daughter with tables or, you know what I mean? And I get to support this family's vision of being healthy. And so it just, it got hooked into something way, way bigger than just the transaction. You know, it, it took money out of being this transactional thing and put it in the place of being this relational thing, this communal thing, which is truthfully, when we go back into many of our ancient societies, is the way that we operated. Like community wealth was a real thing. And we supported each other's gifts and talents with whatever that currency was as a way to revitalize our community and keep our communities vibrant and healthy. So it's like, I'm going back to that. And then on the same side, I wanted to work with people. I wanted to receive money from people who were coming from that same place. You know, so people who were coming from a more abundant place, opportunities where we could do really great work and there was the budget for it. And there were people who appreciated me and who I was and what I had to bring and my value. And, you know, and I appreciated what they were trying to do in the world and wanted to contribute to that. And so it was creating this generative, generous, appreciative energy around the money exchanging, which gave me this very, very expansive feeling and empowering feeling around my money transactions. And that second shift took me to six figures. You know, so first leap, triple my income, first shift, second shift, took me six figures. Wow. Right? 
And then the third and final shift was moving away from all of what I had inherited around money, whether that was from family or society or institutions or our larger culture, wherever those messages were coming from, to a place of my own money truth, you know, and getting to an honest place of how much money is enough money for me. And what is it that I want to do with my money? So really giving voice to my own stewardship about how I wanted to use and leverage my resources once I got them and what was important to me about how I worked with money and how I showed up around money. Um, and that third shift, you know, it's still giving, right? Still giving, you know? Um, and those were the things that really changed the game. Those mindset shifts, those, those just shifting my position, shifting where I was standing in each of those spaces were the things that really opened the door for me. You know, in order to do those things effectively, though, I had to understand what my current reality was, meaning what were the conversations, what was the nature of my mindset that was governing that old reality and how does this new mindset conversation produce a new reality for me? And how do I be vigilant about the practice of reaching for my new mindset when the instincts or stress or old conditioning would be constantly having me reach for that old, that old mindset. Can you talk about some of those old conditionings mm -hmm. and kind of help us do surgery? With yes. all of our audience? Are, you know, there are some root causes. I mean, you know, when I work with the entrepreneurs who, who come to the crowd, when we work together, the entrepreneurs and leaders that we work with, when we, when we work together, when we talk about your conversations, your inner dialogue, I really have you break it down. And we don't just look at, like, what are the general conversations? We really try to get it word for word. Like, what are, what are you saying to yourself? Like, you know, so we create an exercise and take people through a process where they look at their top conversations. And then within that, there are root causes. There are, you know, what we call sort of core, core beliefs that live at the root of what those conversations are. So one core belief is that there is not enough, you know, and that's the scarcity conversation. There's not enough love. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough, you know, acknowledgement. There's not enough space. There's not, you know, so, and we are all conditioned to be in this scarcity state of being in this scarcity yeah. mindset, right? In the work, there's also the conversation, I don't have enough energy to do X, you know? You That's go. the currency that I work with in my work. People run low energy and they are suffering unnecessarily because it's very tiny microscopic shifts in their choices that gives them massively huger amounts of abundant energy to go and then live the life that they want to live. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I see yeah. that the, the, the energy and the chi that I work with in my work, I'm seeing all the parallels in how you're doing that kind of healing with money as the energy, as the chi. Yeah. And they, you know, they go hand in hand, right? So people who struggle with money often struggle with time, you know, often struggle with other things, right? And so, you know, this way of recognizing, you know, at a fundamental level, am I approaching the world from the place that there's not enough, you know? So that is a root cause. Another root cause is I'm not worthy, you know? So whatever it is in our experience, particularly in the formative years of our development, did we experience this 
sense of not deserving whatever goodness wants to come towards us, whether that's money or that's relationship love or that's a specific kind of opportunity or that's a particular kind of acknowledgement or attention. So this idea of not being worthy also causes a lot of us to hide. This is a big, this is where a lot of shame and guilt and fear and doubt show up for people um, when they're reaching for things that they really, really want or they're entertaining the possibility of even reaching for something that they want. This, I am not worthy. Um, you know, I'm afraid of what it's going to take is another conversation. And that's the fear of overwork, of overstress or the fear of, of too much pressure um, and not being able to maintain. So even if I get it, I'm afraid that I may not be able to maintain or sustain it because of what I think it's going to require of me. Like it's going to require more than I have to give, or it's going to cause me to have to make choices that are painful in order to uh, achieve it. And this is so much of what is in the lexicon around success and in the mythology around success, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to trade sleep for it. Right. You, you got to hustle. You got to hustle. Trade your relationships for it, your friendships. You may have to trade. You, you feel what I mean? There's all, you may want trading your health and well-being for it. And these are the places where it gets really, really painful. And the challenge is, you know, as much as that has been built into the motivational lexicon of personal growth and development, nobody talks about boundaries as it relates to those things. And there's a sort of blanket assumption that everybody is lazy <laughs> and what you got to do is work harder, you know, and there's no, that, that, that conversation is not nuanced in ways that are really, really important. So it winds up is people resist coming into their full purpose or people resist coming into their full power because they're not wanting to have to trade and sacrifice in those ways. Yeah, because most of us are already working hard. We can't work any harder. There's not more hard work that we can muster up, you know? So it, we have to just break that paradigm completely. Right, right. And, and some of the things that we're doing are not useful. You know, so it's, so it's not even like, you know, it's not even about like that just hard work is the thing, y'all. You know what I'm saying? And so I say this because people deeply underestimate the degree to which their mindset impacts their reality. So you can work all night and all day, but if your mindset is working against you, it doesn't matter. It's like butting your head up against the wall. You know, and you know, they talk about the, the, the definition of insanity. The definition of insanity is butting your head up against the wall, expecting that one day you're going to bust through the wall. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? Oh, well, let me see if I hit it harder. Well, at some point you're going to hurt your head, you know? And so the, like, there's just, you know, there's ways in which we've got to really challenge that old conditioning around success and what's required. And so um, our ability to really get inside of, that fear of what it's going to take and really recognize like, oh, I've bought into that indoctrination is what then gives you the access to create a different conversation for yourself. What else? Lack and scarcity, 
Mm-hmm. So we talked not about worthy. there's not enough. We talked about you're not worthy. We talked about I'm afraid of what it's going to take. Right. Then there's also I'm anti-capitalism. And in the I'm anti-capitalism, there's all these conversations. You know, I'm angry about what things cost. I want to serve somebody that can't afford my services. I don't feel comfortable charging for what I'm doing because I'm doing God's work or I'm doing the work of the people, or, you know, fill in the blank, right? Mm-hmm. All of those conversations. And those are all what I call outgrowths of the I'm anti-capitalism. And so therefore I don't participate. Um, so those root causes are at play. And then one of the ones that really hemmed me up is I'm afraid that I'll be corrupted. I'm afraid that I will be changed. You know, yeah, so you care money changes people. Yeah, you got, you know, so that's what we've been told, right? Money changes people. But the truth is, you know, money at its very essence and its core, depending upon how you hold it, actually really just makes you more of yourself. Like it magnetizes what's already there. So if what's there is healthy, money has the potential to magnetize your goodness. But if what's there is dysfunctional or what's there is wounded, then yes, money will magnetize the wounding. You know what I mean? So it's all about what you believe, you know, and the way that what you believe gets magnetized um, and, and the degree to which that serves you or hinders you in what it is that you want to have or in what it is that you want to be or what it is that you want to pursue. Where does more money, more problems fall into this? Uh, this is the, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of what it's going to take. This is that conversation. So like if you let, if you allow things to grow or if things get bigger, there's this idea that, you know, I'm not going to be able to really handle it, right? Right. You know, I'm going to be challenged and there's a way that, um, that I'm going to have to do things that hurt, you know, and not like momentarily hurt, but do things that are in some way damaging, you know, to me or to my physical being or to my family or, you know, this, that, that, that trade. The other place that money, more money, more problems comes from is this, I am not safe conversation which is the final root cause and this one i was been sharing about like i unearthed this recently particularly with survivors of trauma where being singled out um has been a negative experience as opposed to a positive experience and so we shrink back we go small we don't pursue our passion or purpose because we're afraid of being persecuted or we'd be afraid of being ripped down. So that other part of more money, more problems is like, oh, if I get more, I can expect more drama. That it just kind of comes with the territory. If I get successful, you know, with the, that build them up, rip them down kind of culture. Mm-hmm. So that, those are real fears and concerns for people in terms of, you know, how they navigate the degree to which they're really willing to kind of come out about who they are, who they really are. Can we drill down into that? Because that's something that I see show up so much for myself and for many people that I work with is I, you know, I, um, we are afraid of our own greatness. Yeah, 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 we are. And And we hold our own selves back. We're aware of it, but we, I have not encountered great tools for, for kind of surgically removing that that. thinking. Yeah. So let's, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, So the first thing is to really recognize that we have a very long history of 
seeing, witnessing people shine their light and be taken down and be taken out. And that we live in a society that can sometimes be very unforgiving when it comes to prominence or when it comes to people who are um, wanting to bring goodness into the world, you know, and that's whether we experience it in our small organization where coworkers get jealous uh, and, you know, decide in the politics that they're going to take us out to um, whether or not we do have some form of prominence. And then here comes that very kind of public critique, whether that's through traditional media channels or what we see happening in social media Mm -hmm. um, for people who start to achieve a certain kind of popularity. And there is a place where, you know, I go in, in the work with our entrepreneurs that is really rooted in being taken care of and being willing to really embrace the energy of being cared for by something bigger than us. You know, I talk about, you know, we sort of review our gear. I talk about where are all the places where the universe had your back or where spirit had your back or where God or love or creativity, you know, and our opportunity to really see and become conscious and aware of all of the places we're taken care of that we don't often pay attention to in a day to day. You know what I mean? We often focus on what doesn't go right. You know, what goes wrong, what goes left, what goes, you know, when we wanted it to go right or what goes right when we want it to go left. We don't often focus on the fact like, oh, you know, I had $100. I thought my groceries was going to cost me $125 and I was able to get everything I needed for $95. You know what I mean? That opportunity to see more of the ways in which life, the universe, whatever we want to call it, that all-providing source, God, that energy, that creative energy is working in partnership with us, is working to support us, is working for our highest benefit. And if we can stand there, if we can trust that, if we can believe that, then there's a kind of resilience and a kind of divine covenants and protection that we operate from where we're not giving the haters our attention, our energy, you know, whatever that, that hateration energy may look Mm -hmm. like or however it may show up. Mm -hmm. We're also not afraid of the criticism, you know, because there's a way in which sometimes we, if we suffer from like imposter syndrome or, you know, the worst thing someone could ever do is critique us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a way that we want to be careful about that. You know, there is feedback that's really useful and then there's feedback that's not so useful. And for the feedback that's not so useful, again, that we just don't give it our energy. We don't give it our attention, but that we're able to bring our attention and we're able to bring our energy to the things that do invite us to grow and the things that nourish us and the things that feed us. I want to be provocative here. This last little piece I'll say, I want to be a little provocative here about safety. Um, because on many, many levels, security is a false construct. Um, And a lot of people want to operate from life from this perspective of secure. I want to be secure. God didn't promise you security. What God promised you was evolution and growth. You know, your soul is here to grow. And as you remember who you are through those growth experiences, 
you bump up against some things. You will struggle. You know, there will be uh, what I call useful suffering going on, not unuseful suffering, because some of us suffer needlessly. But there is purposeful suffering that does happen as a part of your growth journey. And every soul comes in with whatever, you know, whatever is mandated for that soul. And your calling is calling you towards that growth and that evolution, which is really about your own full realization and your own full actualization, you know. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very rarely about the thing that you get, but it's more about who you become as you pursue the thing that spirit is most interested in. <laughs> and you get those obstacles and challenges because you are being molded and shaped and polished, right? As, as Gabby would say, your crystal's being polished. You're being molded and shaped into the fullness of whoever you are, which is already there, you guys. So it's not like about a whole bunch of stuff you're being put on. It's actually about what gets peeled away. Yes. So that the purest essence of who you are can shine through, can pierce through. Um, and so I say all of that to say that this idea of safety is something we're going to have to let go of a little bit. We're going to have to learn to surrender to. Like in the, bigger, in the bigger economy of things or in the bigger competition of things, we're cared for. Even if we change form, we're cared for, right? We, if we go into spirit, that, you know, there's still a larger divine uh, plan and orchestration happening, you know? And I know I may be bumping up against some people's belief systems as I go here, but there's another sort of larger divine plan. But the smaller conversation or the sort of more, you know, pragmatic conversation is that safety is not the thing to hold on to. Growth is the thing to hold on to. That life is designed to grow you. And if you can seek to grow and invite growth and welcome growth, then you have less and less of a need for the idea of safety, you know. Now, does this mean you should walk into the middle of a gunfight? Probably not. You know what I mean? But there are other ways that we operate and orchestrate our lives around safety that is more about this sort of false concept that we're seeking um, because we're afraid of what scrutiny will do to us, you know. And that, and that has to do with... Um, us not having the room and the space to cultivate a, a stronger sense of who we really are, a stronger sense of the truth of who we really are. We think we're people's opinions, but we're not people's opinions. You know what I mean? Yeah. In my work, one of the big myths that I bust about health and wellness is that getting sick or injured is always a bad thing. But mm -hmm. as we sit with that, we know that there's so many examples where getting sick is that wake-up call, where we deeply do the soul searching and realign our lives or just a simple example of an athlete. When they get a little hamstring uh, injury, they will change their technique, work with their coach, work on better biomechanics, change their training program, adjust. And then their performance skyrockets because they've just optimized their whole system by listening deeply to that one little hamstring injury. And they create a whole other level of possibility by listening to that. And yeah. so with, the money mindset is also allowing the curveballs of life to help us grow and learn and shift into a whole different level of possibilities that could never have been possible if we didn't allow it. Absolutely. I, I would not know what I know if I had not struggled with the money. You know, and I want to say that to you all, that any, any form of lack, any place where you're experiencing struggle right now is the, is the invitation to growth. 
So if you can even make that one shift where you go like, oh, I just had a challenge. Oh, no, actually, I just had an invitation to grow. You know, oh, I have an obstacle. No, actually, I have another invitation to grow here. Oh, this is an opportunity to practice, you know, what I've just newly learned about boundaries or what I've just newly learned about budgeting or what I've just newly learned about, you know, fill in the blank. And it's important for us to understand that with every insight and realization, what absolutely immediately comes next is the opportunity to practice. Because you don't get strong in the wisdom of those insights unless you're given concrete opportunities to put them on the court. It's why we at Move the Crowd call ourselves a community of practice. Because it's not enough to give you the theories or the concepts or the tools or the ideas you need to put them on the court of your life and work with them and actually experience the wisdom that comes from being in the world with the concepts and ideas and insights that you're getting. That's when you really get it. You know, all the rest of it is kind of like intellectual entertainment. But when you actually start to put it on the court and work with it, that's when you start to feel things shift and move and grow and materialize. That is so huge because I think most of our audience are the ones that have gone to many personal growth workshops and we have these aha moments at the workshop and then we go back and live our own life. It's kind of, in a way, to just be blunt, dishonoring the potency of that work by not putting it into day-to-day practice. The workshop's not over. It only just started. After you got this body of knowledge, this wisdom, now put that wisdom to work on a day-to-day basis. The same with people who come to me for meditation retreats and breathwork retreats and wellness retreats. While they're on the retreat, they feel great. But now, put that into practice every single day of your life and watch it change the game. But you could just go right back into your old ways and then you don't see the results, you know? It's that simple. And I think it's, you know, to your point, whether it's an injury, or a personal relationship challenge, or some other kind of quote unquote obstacle, all of those things are asking you to slow down and listen differently and pay attention differently. You know, so much of our conditioning is the ripping and the running. You know, and I wanna say you all, this is as a notorious ripper and runner, (laughs) I'm gonna tell you, Um, that it isn't until I get knocked on my butt and have to slow down that the other kinds of insights begin to come, the other kinds of opportunities begin to come, the other kinds of pathways and solutions begin to come when I'm willing to slow down and I'm willing to be in the discomfort of whatever has intercepted my current reality, you know, whatever has challenged my current reality. And so um, we got to be willing to be challenged. We have to be willing to be challenged and to slow down and, and actually lean into that challenge because often that's where the greatest learning and the greatest teachings live. This is so beautiful. You guys, I hope you will choose to, like I will listen to this conversation again and again, because If we just put any one of these gems into consistent practice in our day-to-day lives, 
we'd have a completely different life. And if we bring forth this way of being on the planet, the ripple effects will go so fast. In one generation, we'll have a completely different economy and humanity. You know? The change that we are all seeking could be this simple. Yeah. Everything, yeah. all the essence of what you've talked about today. The thing is, sometimes is we feel lonely in our communities because this is a very new way of thinking. Yeah. And thank you so much for your generosity to share these kinds of interviews, to travel and do your speaking engagements and your activism. How can people stay connected with your community and keep cultivating this new state that is so uncommon in our world today? Yeah, I, I thank you. You know, first of all, you know, thank you so much for your work, you know, because I'm here because of you. You know, um, that's just how it works. It's your love for your community and your commitment to your purpose and your calling that even has me, you know, have the privilege to show up and be able to talk to your beloved souls. And we are a beloved community. And so I do want to say that if, you know, if what I'm saying resonates with you on any level, that we invite you to come and learn more about us. And, you know, our, our main website is movethecrowd.m as in Mary, E as in Eric. So movethecrowd.me as in move me. <laughs> mm. um, and then I want to just give some goodies, right? So there is a webinar called Making Peace with Making Money, which is something that we are sharing far and wide this year, particularly we are in a year of love. Um, every year we, we observe a theme for the year. And this year's theme is lean into love and experience the bounty. And it's all about helping every single one of you develop a more prosperous and uh, abundant foundation so that you can pursue and be and have and engage in all of the things you want to do in the world and be in the world and have in the world. And so to that end, um, we are offering the Making Peace with Making Money complimentary webinar, which talks you through my, take. I take you step-by-step step through my money journey. I talk a little bit about how do you deal with your inner dialogue? I go deeper into what those root causes are so that you have the opportunity to really kind of look at, well, wow, what is it that I'm saying to myself? And, um, and is this what I want to be saying to myself? And what do I want to create if I think about the opportunity to have a money truth? Um, and so we'll make that available through movethecrowd.me slash Dr. Oh, that's the, that's the toe, that's the bell. <laughs> Dr. Eve's letting us know. <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, being able to take advantage of that through the, the URL, move the crowd.me backslash Dr. E, no period, just D R E. Um, they'll be able to access it. And then, um, to also know that, uh, in January, 2020, I have a new book coming out, which is called the calling, uh, stay true, get paid, do good. And it is, you know, more in depth, the sort of foundational formula for how people, pursue, identify, and, and realize their, their calling, what it is that they're here to do in the world, whether that's, you know, super mom or super mogul. Wow, I can't wait to read your book. And I just want to say as an energetically sensitive person that many of our audience members are also, as we listen to you talk, we can all feel how you are not just speaking a truth that resonates deeply, but you are like a tuning fork 
holding a different frequency, a different vibration around this issue. And we can feel with our bodies a different field of energy that we're resonating at just by being in your presence and exploring this completely different consciousness about money. So on behalf of everybody, all our listeners and all of our friends and family and community that will benefit from the ripple effects of this conversation, I just want to thank you so much for the healing power that you emanated through this conversation. My gratitude is just beyond words. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Izzy, for having me. And, you know, for those of you who are listening, you know, I, I love you and we need you. We need you well. We need you fully expressed in your brilliance, in your beauty, in your gifts. And if we can be supportive in any way and helping to facilitate that, you know, by all means, um, come check us out. So my very final question that we always end the conversation with mm. is this. The show is about awakening and living our next level of human possibilities. If you were to distill your experiences down to just one single most important piece of advice, mm. what is the one thing that you most want us to know? Yeah. It is to go within, to slow down and really listen to the wisdom of your own inner dialogue. Those longings, those urgings, those nudges are all there for a reason. And we've been so conditioned to dismiss them, you know, because we can't see all of the way of how that's gonna manifest, you know. Um, but our willingness to keep coming back to our own well and replenishing ourselves with our own wisdom and our own insights and our own connection to source is the most important practice I would say that you could take on, you know, so whether you do that through prayer or through meditation or through chanting or through walking in nature or through jogging or running, like, you know, or through luxury baths, you know, time and water, whatever way you get there, it's about really tapping into that inner world and starting to trust and allow yourself to be guided by um, the wisdom that you possess and the knowing that you possess because it's pointing you towards, you know, whatever is supposed to be next for you on your journey. Ra, you have left me speechless. You have bursted our hearts open and you've created a ripple effect of healing into our community and into the world through your pure presence and essence that you emanate so beautifully. Thank you so much for that amazing, soulful and practical conversation. It was such an honor to spend this hour with you. Oh, thank you so much, my love. It was my joy, my pleasure and peace and love to all of you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, my love. Big hug, big kiss. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Hi, friends. Did you love that interview? If you did, please leave a review and share with all your friends so that many more people can benefit from these game-changing insights. 
You can also go onto our website, DrEdithUbuntu.com, and subscribe to our newsletter, where you'll receive free trainings and next-level ninja tools that we only share on our newsletter. Together, let's turn your life into a brilliant masterpiece.